great to be back in the Bay. Um, it's title town now, isn't it? I feel a bit like Jonah. When I leave, like things start happening. The Giants, three in five years. Can I get a witness? Or are we A's fans here? I don't know what's going on in the A's fans. Wow, there are still A's fans. I can't believe it. I challenge you to name the lineup one through nine. If you can name it now, it will change in two weeks. Um, this is a miracle. This, guys, God has done incredible things. Has he not? The Golden State Warriors. Talk about the impossible becoming reality. That's my team. Oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, Caleb's family, he's from Portland, so he's a Portland Trailblazer fan. Like there are, if you want to meet what a Portland Trailblazer fan looks like, that, that's what they look like. Hard to believe that they're, they're in existence. The Niners, of course, we're, we're working on that. Uh, but if we believe that God can do the impossible, we're believing for the Raiders too, right? Yeah. Are we? There's some Raider fans in here, right? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think they'll be in the playoffs before the Niners. We'll see what happens. Uh, one of the things I love about summertime, we're here in the middle of summer. Summer for many of us, it's a, a time of vacation, right? Connecting with family, getting away. That's what we're doing here. Uh, we've got some other stuff planned, and it's always great to be up here and spend time together. Uh, also, last month, for many of us, June is the season of graduation. Any graduates in the house? Or you've got people in your families that have just graduated college or high school or something like that. Uh, I was looking up. Uh, what are some of the gifts that are given to, to, to graduates? And actually, one of the number one gifts that are given to, to graduates is this incredible book, Profound Truth in this book. It's by a guy named Dr. Seuss, and the book is called Oh, the Places You Will Go. Anybody heard of that book before? Uh, we love that book so much in our family that what we've done is we have a copy, and every year that our kids will go on from a school. So Olivia, from preschool to kindergarten, now to first grade, we give it uh, to the teachers, and they write a little note of just you know, support and love and capture a couple of stories in there. So it's kind of become a, a cool tradition. Uh, so this morning, I'd love to start with a reading from Dr. Seuss. <laughs> it's not in your Bibles unless you've got a really funky Bible. I'd like to see that one. But here it is. A reading from Dr. Seuss, Oh, the Places You Will Go. Congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. You have brains in your head. That's a good thing. You have feet in your shoes. You can, still, you can steer yourself any direction that you choose. Oh, the places you'll go. You'll be on your way up. You'll be seeing great sights. You'll join the high flyers who soar to high heights. You won't lag behind because you'll have the speed. You'll pass the whole gang as you'll soon take the lead. Come on, somebody. Wherever you fly, you'll be the best of the best. Wherever you go, you will top the rest. Except when you don't. Because sometimes you won't. I'm sorry to say, but sadly, it's true, that bang-ups and hang-ups, they can happen to you. You can get all hung up in a prickly perch, and your gang will fly on and you'll be left in a lurch. You'll come down from the lurch with an unpleasant bump. And the chances are, then, you'll be in a slump. And when you're in a slump, you're not so much fun. For unslumping yourself is not easily done. Amen. Hmm. Everybody said, hmm. <laughs> Dr. Seuss might know what he's talking about. Uh, I relate to that. And I assume to guess in a room this size that there's many of us that actually relate to that that we believe in a God who leads us. We believe in a God who orders the steps of the righteous. 
that he's with us, that he leads us, and that he guides us. But often along that way, there's hang-ups, there's bang-ups. There's difficult things that we encounter. I even think about Lindy and I, our journey uh, 10 years ago, almost 11 years ago, we felt God say, move down to Orange County and, and watch what I'll do. And we've been on that incredible journey of just seeing God at work and, and, and seeing him open up doors that are just miraculous, seeing him close doors, yeah. seeing seasons where actually it was, pretty, it was pretty difficult. And we felt like, really, we're here. You called us to move down here. We're serving you. We're being obedient but when we look at the circumstances of our life, it doesn't quite align up. It's not the picture. I remember a friend of ours, you guys might remember um, Ralph Frugaletti. Anybody remember the Frugalettis? Some of you guys have been around for a long time. I'll never forget uh, one time we were out with our families together sharing a meal, and Stephen Frugaletti, who was a couple of years younger than me, James, uh, James, my brother James, he was his age, he had ordered something. I don't remember what it was. A happy meal at Denny's. A happy meal at Denny's. Oh, a pancake with bacon smiley faces. Who doesn't like a pancake with bacon smiley faces? I mean, that's, that's just a good thing. And I remember he ordered it, and he was so excited. And then the dish was brought out to him. And immediately he screamed, it doesn't look like the picture. <laughs> the bacon was all just kind of nasty, and the smile was more of a frown, and the butter was just kind of all over the place. And it did not look like the picture. And sometimes our lives do not look like the picture. <laughs> God gives us a picture. We have an expectation for what we want our lives to look at. And when we look at what life serves us, it doesn't look like the picture. There's a disconnect sometimes in what we see and what we experience, even when we're obedient, even when we're faithful. And we want to affirm verses that say these. Psalms 37 23, the Lord directs the steps of the God godly, He delights in every detail of His lives. Amen? Yeah. Proverbs 16.9, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Psalms 32.8, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and I will watch over you. That's what God does. That's who he is. He directs our path. But you ever stop to wonder, what does it mean and how does God actually direct our paths? Over the last couple of days, we've spent a fair amount of time driving uh, in downtown San Francisco. If you ever want an exercise in patience, drive through downtown San Francisco. Oh, my Lord. We finally gave up, and we just did an Uber, and we just did that. Uh, uh, but it, it could be quite a stressful experience. Uh, the great thing, though, is we have our smartphones, and our cars have got the GPS thing. We just put in the coordinates, we put in the address, and supposedly, it, when the buildings aren't blocking the signal, it tells us where we're supposed to go. And I like that. I like that despite, you know, the traffic and things around me and backseat drivers some, sometimes. But I don't know. <laughs> That, just kidding. She had the right to do that because I had no idea where I was going, and we got there quicker that way. Uh, but if I'm honest, I wish that God led like that. God, here's the coordinates. This is where I want to go. This is my five-year plan. This is what I want to do. Or, or God, you've called me to this, and I'm going to go be obedient, and that I would just get the turn-by-turn directions. Turn left in 500 feet. Now turn right in 500 feet. Stop for two years and take another step. Like, just to know exactly this audible voice... <laughs> Truth is, God doesn't often lead like that, does he? No. And if he did lead like that, then why would we be instructed to pray for wisdom? Yeah. 
right? And to, and to use what he's given us. You know, sometimes we want God to lead like that because, if I'm speaking for me, I don't maybe always want to take the responsibility for my actions. And I just want it to be easy. Just show me what to do and I'll, and I'll go and do that. Where actually God wants to bless us as we go. That's what faith looks like, right? Faith isn't, okay, there's the exit sign. I'm going to run to the exit sign and everything's going to be okay. Faith is God telling you to do something and you step out before even knowing the outcome of what you're supposed to do. And what I want to submit to us today is one of the number one things that I believe that I want God, God wants us to know is the greatest prayer that we can pray is not the Jesus take the wheel prayer. Sorry, Mom, big Carrie Underwood fan, Oklahoma. It's a good song. And there are times where, yes, Jesus, please take the wheel because I can't do it on my own. But I believe that there's something more profound that he wants us to know. There's something more profound that he wants us to know in a way that he wants us to live. And we see this in Mark's gospel in Mark chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll be spending the majority of the time there. And this will be on the screen as well. It's something that he wanted his disciples to know. It's something that he wants us to know. Up to this point in Mark 6, the disciples had seen some stuff. You're talking about seeing some stuff. They've seen Jesus heal people of incurable diseases. They have seen Jesus preach with authority and with power about the kingdom of God like nobody else has before. They have seen uh, them and Jesus being followed by crowds of just thousands and thousands of people and even feeding the people with limited resources, with barely amount of food, feeding all of these people. They have seen him calm a storm. I mean, come on, this is some miraculous stuff that they have seen. But here's the deal about the stuff. The stuff that God does is actually not really about the stuff. The stuff is great, and we want more of the, the future of the kingdom to invade the, the present now. But the stuff, it reveals more of who God is. The stuff always points to more of who Jesus is, which in turn tells us more who we are. It's about our character. It's about being developed. The stuff is not just about the blessing. It's about knowing the blesser. It's not just about the gifts. It's about knowing the gift giver so we can know more fully who we are. So look at this, what happens to the disciples here. Mark 6, starting at verse 45. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted, we might get back to that word later, that the disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Now, if you read just a few verses before, we know immediately after this is the miraculous, the feeding of the 5,000, which isn't really just 5,000 because they just counted the men. Sorry, women and children. Uh, we know that actually that's more like 10 to 15,000 people when you include the women, when you include all the children there. Does it, anybody know what they fed them with? How many things did they have before the feeding? They had what? Five loaves and two fishes. I don't like those odds, right? I don't like those odds. So the disciples are with Jesus, and they say, look, it's getting dark. We're kind of in this isolated place. These people got to go back to their villages. we gotta, we got to do something. And I love Jesus' response. He says, you feed them. Yeah. Excuse me? Five loaves, two fishes. We're not great at math. We're just fishermen here. But that, that doesn't quite compute. But what we see is they step out, right, in obedience that God uses them to do the miraculous. And 15,000 people are fed with five loaves and two fishes. Now, if I'm one of the disciples in that moment, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. 
Because he said, feed them, right? And so here we are, and people are being fed. And you would have to imagine there'd be some grateful people there, right, in that crowd to, to see the miracle, to see the things that are happening. If I'm there, I may be shaking hands and kissing babies and saying you're welcome and maybe taking that first selfie ever and saying, hashtag miraculous, you know? <laughs> and maybe I stick around and take notes and, and, you know, it might not be a bad idea to write a book out of that experience, how I fed 15,000 people and how you can too, right? <laughs> to stick around. I mean, look what we just did. This is incredible. Let's, let's bask in the glory for a moment. Look what we did. Look, what, look, look, look how God used us in this moment. Only that's not what happened there. That's not what Jesus did. What did he do? He insisted that he get the disciples into the boat. And that word insisted, it's not like this, Michelle. I'm going to insist that you come with me. Take my hand very carefully. Let's go this way. Now please sit back down. No, insisted is more of a, I won't do this to you. I'm going to pick you up and grab you and let's go back to the, you know how many years I've wanted to do that. No, just kidding. Pick on someone here outside. It's actually kind of that picture. It's a forcefully grab and place into the boat. I mean, wait. We're not done yet. Let us shake some hands. Let us, let us talk to people. Let us, let us be with people. Jesus insists that they get back into the boat. And look what happens after he insists that they get back into the boat. After he leads in verse 47. Late that night. Somebody say late that night. Late that oh, Lord, late that night. Okay. <laughs> I'm getting used to being back on this. The disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake. And Jesus was alone on the land. He saw that they were in serious trouble. Somebody say serious trouble. Serious. Mm-hmm. And they were rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. And it was about 3 o'clock in the morning. The only reason to be up at 3 o'clock in the morning is if you've got a baby or if you're doing something naughty. So you should be asleep at that time. Uh, but some observations here. It tells us that they're in the middle of the lake. The lake, this is the Dead Sea, what we know as the Sea of Galilee. A couple little facts about the Sea of Galilee. It's 680 feet below sea level. And it's surrounded by all these mountains and all these hills. It's the lowest freshwater lake on the earth. And so you have this this low-sitting lake with all these mountains around. And then the wind would just whip down from the mountains like a roller coaster. Come down and cause these big waves and cause these perfect storms. The disciples here are caught in a perfect storm. And it says that they're in the middle of the lake. And it says late that night, uh, late that night when they left. Late that night, we know from looking at some other passages, that would have probably been around 9, maybe 10 o'clock at night is when they left. And then it tells us at 3 o'clock in the morning, my math isn't very good, Lindy can verify this later, but that's about six hours on, this lake that is 13 miles wide and 8 miles across. They would have crossed it at 8 miles, the 8-mile crossing point. It says that they're in the middle of the lake. We can glance over that, but what that means, that's, guys, that's, that's uh, six hours, six hours of rowing, and they've only gone four miles. Six miles of rowing in the open lake here, in this storm, and they've only gone four miles. A little bit perspective on that. Does anybody know what the distance is from the, the shore of uh, San Francisco to Alcatraz? About four miles. You did that the first service. I thought you learned the lesson. <laughs> About four miles. Uh, 1.5 miles. 1.5 miles. I was looking up swimming to Alcatraz. There's actually the Shark Fest swim on August 8th. If you'd like to do that, 
will pray for you because there's sharks and it's cold water. You're crazy if you want to do that. Uh, but they say that this 1.5 miles is swimmable in about one hour. You can swim that in one hour. So both ways, maybe add a little bit, a little bit more. Two and a half hours, you could swim three miles. Three miles, two and a half hours. There's this other swimming competition in the Bay Area. I love it. It's called the Bridge to Bridge. Anybody heard of that? Anybody ever done that before? No, I haven't done that either. It's crazy. Uh, the Bridge to Bridge is from the, the, the Bay Bridge to the Golden Gate Bridge. It's a 10K swim, so that's about six miles. Last year, the record holder did the six-mile swim in the open waters of the ocean uh, in one hour and nine minutes. I know, right? That's crazy. I have a friend. His name is Vladimir, and he's a big Ukrainian. He's very strong. Uh, and he often rows from the Southern California coast out to Catalina Island, the 22 miles. You know how long it takes him, 22 miles? It takes him three hours. <laughs> so we're starting to get the picture here. The disciples have gone four miles in this storm, and they've been at it for six hours. Put yourself in that boat. What do you imagine the conversation is like there? Okay, so John's the beloved, right? So maybe it's something like, oh, Jesus is so lovely. He's such a funny guy. You know, he's... It's great that he's put us in this situation. I'm sure there's a great reason for it, and everything's going to be okay. And Thomas might be there saying, are you crazy? <laughs> We're in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the lake, and, and Jesus, where are you? Always oh, up on the mountain praying and looking down. That's very helpful, but actually, we're in the thick of it. We're stuck in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the storm. And by the way, it wasn't our decision to be there. <laughs> He forcefully he put us into this place. We were being obedient. We were following the Savior. We were doing the exact thing that he called us to do. I can relate with that. Even when I'm stepping out in faith, even when I'm being obedient, even when I'm doing the things that I'm supposed to do, sometimes it does not look like the picture. Sometimes the storms come. Things happen, are bad, they're bad, or sometimes life is just bad. How are we called to live in that moment? What are we supposed to do? What should our response be in that moment? See, I've seen God do some amazing things. I've seen him set people free. I've seen miraculous things happen here. You've seen it. God use you in and through your lives. You've seen him do incredible things. But here's the truth is whether Jesus is using you to, to feed thousands of people, to do the miraculous, or whether you're in the middle of the lake, in the middle of a storm, God is still God, and God is still good. He's still God, and he's still good. Our external circumstances do not take away from his glory. They do not take away from his goodness. They do not take away from the way that he sees us. And they don't even form or they don't even shape our identity. I think some of us need to hear that today, that life can be difficult, and sometimes we feel like, oh, it's, it's, it's me, it's my fault, or God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? And God is there with you. He is there with you, and he is mighty to save. Yes, I think about how the original church would have heard this, Mark's gospel written to the church in Rome, a church that was under immense persecution and suffering a church where actually family members are being taken forcefully from their house and being persecuted for their faith. Can you imagine them reading this text? That sounds a lot like us. We're in a storm. We're being obedient. 
God's placed us here. But, but what is going on around us? How do we reconcile our experience through the truth of who God is? To the truth of who God is. But listen to Jesus' response. Watch what happens. It's what he still does today in verse 48. Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. And he intended to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking that he was a ghost. That's a reasonable reaction. They've never seen that before. But isn't it true in the middle of the storm, even when God comes to us, sometimes it seems so like out of context, like really? <laughs> now in this moment you're going to come here? And they were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once and he said these powerful words. Do not be afraid. Take courage for I am here. And then, I love the picture, he climbed in the boat and the wind stopped And in one of the most understated verses in the New Testament, they were totally amazed. In our hour of suffering, in our hour of loss, God is not distant. He enters into our mess. He enters into our storm to redeem us, to redeem our stories, to tell us we're not defined by our past. We're not defined by our current situations. We're not defined by the anxiety that we may have with the future. We're defined by God's presence and the reality that he is with us. He is with you. See, the number one thing I believe God wants us to know is not the Jesus take the wheel prayer. The number one thing he wants us to know is do not be afraid. Why? Because I am with you. I am with you. Somebody might need to shout when we read this verse. Isaiah. Isaiah 41.10. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. See, friends, the hand that holds us up, it's not the hand of our own strength. It's not the hand of our own success. It's not the hand of the world. It's not the hand of what we can muster up. It's the right hand of victorious and mighty God who was with us, a God who entered in, who moved into the neighborhood to be with us, to show us a way, to show us his truth, and to lead us and to guide us. His hand is mighty. His hand is there to save. I think again about the disciples in their journey with Jesus, particularly through the gospel of John. Jesus is saying to them things like this. I'm going somewhere, and the place that I'm going, you cannot go with me. The light of the world is going to be with you for just a little bit longer. Where I am going, you cannot know. The Son of Man must suffer many, many great things. And at one point, Thomas, I love it because my first name, John, the beloved Thomas, the doubt little guy, got a little bit of that in my nature. Thomas finally speaks up and he says, Lord, we have no idea what you're talking about. Kind of in the white spaces. But he says, we don't know where you're going. Jesus senses their confusion. And you know what he says to them? He says, listen, boys, don't worry because I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will not forsake you. And when I go, he says this, it's actually better that I go. Excuse me, better that you go, son of man. It's better that I go because when I go, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, God's very presence and nature, living on us to the inside, will be with you through the end of the ages. Is that good news? Is that good news? And then he says this, it's better that I go and you will do greater things because my spirit will be in and with you. 
Whereas Jesus' earthly ministry would have been contained to maybe a 75-mile radius, now because his spirit is in us and with us, it is unstoppable. It goes towards the ends of the earth. It's the hope of glory that is within us. The same power that rose Christ Jesus from the dead is in who? Come on. It's in us to do what? To do the stuff that Jesus did. It's the same spirit to be victorious, to pray for the sick, to, to minister life and healing, to know that when we're in a storm, we're not alone. God's spirit is not something that flies around and we have to conjure up. God's spirit, his presence, him is in us and it's with us. He is with us. This is the number one thing that God wants us to know. Fear not, for I am with you. Think about this. How would you live differently if you truly knew and believed that God was with you? How would that change the way that you view your story, your past? How would that change the way that you anticipate the future? How would that change your current situation? How could that reality shift the way that you serve and bless others, the way that you live a fearless life of risk? abandoning all things for his kingdom and his glory because it doesn't matter what the world can do to us. God's presence is with us. How would that change your reality? What difference would it make in your current situation? What difference would it make in the life of others around you? What difference could it make the way that you view your past to not be burdened with condemnation, guilt, and shame because God is the redeemer of all things. What does this teach us? All good sermons has three points, as my father taught me at some point. Number one, it tells us that storms, storms are unavoidable. That's a part of Jesus' promise, didn't he? In this world, you will have what? But what did he say after that? You guys know the world. Be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. They're unavoidable. They're a part of life. There are moments in our life where storms are there. Sometimes it's the decision of others that places us there. Sometimes it's our wandering that places us there. Sometimes life just happens and that's what happens. But God is there in the middle of all of those things. That's right. The second thing is we cannot make it in our own strength. No. I think we know that one, don't we? It's not about what we can conjure up. If it was, we would not need a Savior. We need a Savior. The Savior is here because we need Him. It's not about our own strength. And thirdly, in our darkest hour, Christ sees us and is able to rescue us. Does not leave us as orphans. Thank you, Martha. I see you back there. Does not leave us alone. Sees us, knows us, loves us, and rescues us. A couple of months ago, after our beautiful one here who's sleeping on the front row, uh, Lucy was born. Uh, there's that thing that happens with the first daughter, Olivia, where she started to feel a bit like, you know, Daddy, we're not going to the park every day, and why are we not hanging out as much? And we also got a new dog, uh, a Boston Terrier, whose name, you'll be happy to know, is uh, Buster Posey Thomas. <laughs> so a lot of attention with that dog. Caleb, as well, has a dog, and the full name of this dog is Will Clark. So, <clears throat> Will Clark, number 22, Giants, first baseman, anybody? Okay, just checking, making sure. So she knew that the attention, you know, you know, was just kind of wondering. So I decided to do what you do as a dad. Okay, we're going to have a daddy-daughter date. And we went to one of our favorite places, the happiest place on earth. That would be Disneyland. And uh, she convinced me to go on the ride, Finding Nemo, which, 
it was definitely about her on that day because that's one of my least favorite rides. If you don't know it, you're in a submarine in a tight, confined pace, space. I'm about 6'4", sitting closely to people with interesting smells and noises and all that other stuff. <laughs> <coughs> and the line was particularly long that day. And I will never forget, we were waiting in line, and she tugs on the back of my shirt. One of those significant tugs, kind of like the, whoa, who touched me? The power just went out of me kind of deals. Like, what is going on here? <laughs> and I turned around, and I looked at her sweet face and her big brown eyes. And she said this exact word, these exact words. She said, Daddy, I think the hardest part of your life is going to be letting go. The Lord is speaking. What do you, what do you mean? What is... What is happening here? So I, I took it a step further, and I said, well, what do you mean by that, honey? What, what do you mean? What's going to be hard? And she said, well, you know, Daddy, like when I get married, that's going to be really hard for you to let go of me. <laughs> right. And then she could see the concern coming on my face, and, and she said these exact words. She said, don't worry, Daddy. Well, actually, I'm going to go back. She said, she said, uh, I asked her, who are you going to marry? You know, what, what, what are you thinking about that? And there was this boy behind us wearing an angel's hat. And she said, I don't know. This boy seems kind of nice right here. <laughs> so first, I told her we do not marry angel fans. I told her that. And she already knows that Dodger is a curse word in our house, so she knows that too. <laughs> if you ask her, she says it's a bad word. And then again, seeing the concern... These exact words. She said, don't worry, Daddy, though, because when we get married, I think we'll live at home with Mom and Dad for a while so we can save money. <laughs> Hello. So pray for us. <laughs> She's six going on 16. She's got it all planned out already. Got that whole boomerang child thing already worked out. That's what she's going to do. Uh, after we talked a little bit more about that, I immediately put it down in my notes because I know that's probably going to make the father of the bride speech at some time. Uh, <laughs> but as I sat with that and I thought about that, you know, there's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of truth in that story. It's not just a story. It actually really happened. Uh, there's a lot of truth when I think about my life. I think even when we think about our lives, that there are things that we want to hold tightly Sometimes we want to feel like we can control everything. There are even people that we want to hold tightly because we feel like we control and we own things and we own people. There are expectations of what we believe God is supposed to do that we hold tightly and we control. I think for some of us, there's even our past hurts and experiences that we hold tightly because they become such a part of us and we have such a difficult time letting it go, believing that there's a generous God who wants to give us good things. But what do we know about our God? He is good. He is mighty. He saves, he restores, he redeems. Nothing goes to waste in the kingdom of God. Your stories, your current situation, your future, all be used for his glory. But what do we have to do? Like this. Release it. Open hands. Open hands. And that is such a posture of worship, isn't it? That's what worship is. Worship is coming to a God who is worthy and saying, you are God, I am not. I can't fix this situation, but you can. I don't understand, but you do. And what does God do? He fills us with his presence. 
He fills us with his love. He reveals who he is. Nothing goes to waste in his kingdom. Oh, the places that will go when we commit to following him. Will there be bumps along the road? Absolutely. Are we defined by those bumps? Absolutely not. God is God. You are not alone. You are not forsaken. And he will restore when we grab a hold of his right hand, his mighty hand that is there to save us. Amen. 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 If you believe it, let's stand together.